Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Psalms 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shul, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest, and the rest of us may have a seat. Good morning. My name is Brian Chung, and I'm one of the elders here at Grace. And after 36 years in this place, I am so excited and privileged to bring God's word to you in this setting today. Uh, I'm praying the Lord will speak uh, through in, in, in ways that can reach deeply into our hearts today. This morning I'll bring you a psalm uh, and a story which I, will, I hope will point us toward the need for surrender before God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which guides us. We thank you for your love which binds us. We thank you for your grace, which frees us from the bondage of our own fallen nature. Father, by your spirit today, speak to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our collective hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As you know, we've been in a series of... uh, Psalms and signs, uh, alternating between a psalm in one week and then a sign, one of the signs that Jesus performed in, uh, during his earthly ministry. And today is a psalm. And I'd ask you to look in your Bibles now or in your mobile device. Go to Psalm 16 that Ramona read so beautifully to you. If you choose to use the blue bi- uh, Bibles underneath, it's on page 453. 453 and 54, it goes over those two pages. Now, if you think about your favorite psalms, uh, 
most of our minds go to the one that Steve Porter preached on a couple weeks ago, Psalm 23. Very different from Psalm 16. Psalm 23 is uh, very coherent. It's only six verses. It goes in one direction with beautiful, eloquent language. Uh, and it all hangs together really well. It's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful psalm. Psalm 16 is a little different. Psalm 16 is what I call discursive, kind of rambling. It's a collection of very unrelated statements that somehow together sum into a beautiful set of meditations that are especially valuable in times of trial. I I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I've learned to uh, over these weeks. I wanted to go through it briefly, verse by verse, only 11 verses. Start with me in verse number one. Preserve me, O God, for in you I find refuge. How many times do we need to cry out to God in this way, but we just don't? David, if you look in the context of his life, he he was often in times of trial, running from people, as we know from uh, King Saul or from Absalom, his own son, He uses the word refuge, which, of course, is synonymous with with shelter or safety. It occurs 40 times in the Psalms, so we can get a sense of how often David needed refuge or protection. But it's significant that in this psalm, David begins with this plaintive cry for, for protection and refuge amidst his circumstances. And it begs a question for us. In times of trial, where do we begin? Where do we start when seeking refuge from our troubles and our difficulties? Do we find our solace in other places? In television, in social media, in movies, in games? Distractions that keep our minds off our troubles? Or do we follow the example of David, who cried out first, the Lord God. This very first verse of Psalm 16 gives us our first meditation. Will we seek the Lord first amid our trials? Verse 2 provides another uh, beautiful meditation as David positions himself rightly before God. He says this, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. What he's saying essentially is, you are God and I am not. You are holy and perfect and any good I have comes from you alone. Here was David, king of all Israel, a man of power and influence who could easily be filled with pride and ego and self-righteousness, but he continually professed his unworthiness for God, to God, before his king. I think that was one of the things that made David a man after God's own heart. Do we sometimes overlook this practice? How many of us pause regularly to position ourselves rightly before God, to acknowledge fully who he is and who we are before him? We could do that right now. Would you? Silently, close your eyes. Acknowledge 
who God is in this silence and who you are before him. Amen. It's a wonderful practice, isn't it? One that we, as Christians seeking after God, should do periodically, start our day with that, and continue periodically through our days to align us and orient ourselves rightly before God. Verse 2 provides a second meditation. Will we diligently humble ourselves before God? Let's move on to verses 3 and 4. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. In verse 3, David delights in community. He loves his peeps. The saints in the land, the excellent ones, are, are his, his people, the other believers, those who are following the one true God. Now in verse 4, he, he says, he, he, he uh, proclaims that he will not pursue false gods. Read with me. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He distinguishes himself from those who are not following the one true God. But his focus is here on the saints of the land. His focus in the midst of trials is to thank God always that he is not alone. He is in community with others. And so are we. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, said this, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The meditation of verse 3 is more of a statement than a question. Thank you, Lord, for the joy and peace found amid your people. Verse 5. I'm just zipping through these, but every one of these you see is a meditation, a thought that the Lord gives us through a simple phrase. Number, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. I'll find the right one in just a moment. There we go. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. In the Old Testament, the word portion translates into inheritance. My lot, my allotment, usually in a, in a piece of land. Uh, the word cup that you see there is, is a, uh, a metaphor for an individual's fate. You'll recall Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. Uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane. But I want to focus on the end of this phrase. You hold my lot. By this phrase, David is saying that his future, his outcomes, whether good or bad, are held by God himself. How often do we hold tightly to our lot? How often do we think that we, by ourselves, can can make our success happen alone? How often do we think that our success is entirely dependent on our work and our effort? David, king of Israel, 
realized that he could not determine his fate. That his outcomes were entirely dependent on the Lord's will and that he could rest in that. Will we do that too? Can we allow the Father to hold our lot, whether good or bad, and rest in the assurance that he has our best interests in mind? Here's a thought, though. Failure is sometimes part of our lot. It's because sometimes getting exactly what we want is the worst thing that could ever happen to us. Sometimes God withholds success knowing that he needs to protect us from being hurt by our own pride and arrogance. David found freedom and peace amid chaos by trusting his future to God alone. The meditation is simple from verse 5. He holds my lot. He holds your lot. I was going to skip past verse 6, but as I was going through, I thought, there's something here that's significant, so let's look at it. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, he talked about inheritance in the earlier verse, and so you think, well, he's carrying that on, and and the lines he's talking about are property lines, referring to this portion of the land that fell in his favor in, in pleasant places. But at the end, he suddenly moves on to something a lot bigger. In saying, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, he's referring to a much grander inheritance, a spiritual one. Think about this. What is our spiritual inheritance? Well, it's an eternal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, eternally. It's the opportunity, think about this, it's the opportunity to live into the fullness of existence with a new body, no tears, no pain. A life of eternal imperishable hope that will never fade. That's our spiritual inheritance. And that's what David sees at the end of verse 6. He's putting his life into perspective. He's saying, look, things are bad right now, but I can see what God has for me, and it's beautiful. Sometimes we can't see the beauty of our spiritual inheritance of our eternity because it's eclipsed by the trials that are right in front of us. It's kind of like standing before the Grand Canyon and you can see nothing because you're just blocked. And David's saying, step back, see the big picture, see all that I have for you, see what is your eternity. David is saying to widen your perspective. And the meditation is this. To see life through the lens of our spiritual inheritance. To never forget what's on the other side of our problems. So there was something in verse 6. 
Verse 7, I am going to go by real quickly. I'll read it to you. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. David blesses God for being so intimate and providing wisdom even as he sleeps. Meditating on verse 7 makes us thankful that we have a God who is present, who is personal. And then we get to verse 8. Now, now this is one for the ages. Some of my favorite verses are uh, uh, Joshua 1.9, about being strong and courageous, and Philippians 4, 6, and 7, about trusting everything to God in prayer. And uh, This one, to me, ranks right there. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. It's such a beautiful visualization of letting God mediate between me and my circumstances. If my troubles are right there, he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. If my troubles are in me or around me, he is at my right hand upholding me. He goes together with me, with you, into those. He is here with us, always at our right hand. Now, it's interesting, these being wonderful words of comfort, that we think is, is David applying that to himself. But this was a surprise to me. It's not. It's not about David at all, in fact. Uh, there's a little giveaway in verse, in verse 10 that would tell you that. But, uh, but do this. Stay at, at that page. If you're, in the Bi- if you're in a blue Bible, flip your way over to page 910. 910, this is Acts 2, verse 22. If you're in a mobile device, just slip over there. Acts 2, verse 22, right? Page 910. Now, this was Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts when he first spoke about the Lord uh, to so many. Go with me, verse 22. This is Peter. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. Now skip over to verse 25. For David says concerning him, Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will, all, will, will dwell in hope. And here's the giveaway that you know it's not, it's not about David. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption or decay. David died. Jesus lives. Back to Psalm 16, if you have it. Again, back to page 543. So this kind of changes everything as you look at these verses, uh, this 8 through 11. Despite the foreknowledge of crucifixion, despite what Jesus knew he would have to go through in the days ahead. He saw the Lord, his Father, always before him. And because the Father, his Father, was at his right hand, he would not be shaken. Jesus trusted the character of his Father. And because we know the character of Jesus, we know and we can put him always before us we too can have the assurance that we, can, we shall not be shaken. And when we say that, 
we, have, we can say also with gladness the words of, of verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I'll leave the rest for a little bit later. Actually, let's, let's just continue right into verse 11 and, and where he says about Jesus, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. You can see that Psalm 16 is a beautiful expression of trust in God, who is our protector and our benefactor, our provider, our counselor, our active partner in the vicissitudes of life. If this hasn't been one of your favorite psalms, maybe all these parts of it can be. Hold it with you. Meditate on it again and again. But I want to turn a corner. I want to tell you a story. Uh, It's a story of a friend of mine Uh, who I'm going to call Ying, okay, Y-I-N-G. Now, you think uh, the name gives it away. I mean, he's going to be represented by this chair. He's not here. But he, uh, his name gives it away that he's Chinese, Chinese Chinese-American, kind of like me. And this is good because I'll get a chance to give you my own insights into his story. I I sat down and, and had a conversation with him about some of the key moments that led to his formation as a person. And he started with this really interesting one. He was eight years old in a bowling alley uh, on a youth bowling league in a small town in the Midwest. And uh, he, he had a bad day that, uh, at, in the league. He was not bowling well. Uh, he was eight years old. I mean, how many eight-year-olds bowl well, right? But as he started to play badly, this nine-year-old kid on the other team started to berate him. He'd have a bad ball or something, and the kid'd say, yeah, uh, nice ball, loser. He'd roll another one, he'd miss an easy spare, and the kid would say, man, you are horrible. And there was one at the end, you know, he's doing this, this, this was going on through a hole, what they call a line or a game in, in bowling, and he's getting near the end, the kid says, man, you stink. So you can imagine how this would feel to this guy at eight years old, uh, and so he felt like, I, he was a quiet kid, i, I got to say something in response. So back when Ying was little, back when I was little, we all, we all took piano lessons. And so he goes up to this kid, kind of shyly, and he said, I bet I can play piano better than you. <laughs> now Ying thought that that might silence this kid. But the kid smiles, and he relished this comment, and he looks at Ying, and he says, I bet I can play polkas better than you. I bet I can play waltzes better than you. I bet you I can play everything better than you. Ying was crushed. That that last outburst left him disgraced and humiliated. And as Ying tells it, something must have gone off in his brain that day. It just clicked because why would he remember that story so many years later in his life? Something happened in this little eight-year-old brain that said, man, I'm going to become good at a lot of things because I never want to be here again. 
Ying became a kid focused on achievement. Now, it didn't help very much that he was also a Chinese-American. <laughs> Show of hands, how many of you have ever been Chinese before? <laughs> Not too many. For Chinese-Americans, there is this pervasive achievement culture. I mean, you, you are you're almost compelled to go to the best schools and to... Uh, to go for the, uh, the big careers that make a lot of money. I mean, medicine is a big one. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. On the 4th of July, I was with some of my uh, Hawaii cousins, wonderful people, very humble people. And uh, there were some that there were 13 of us who, who I'd never met before. It was just a beautiful time. And as I'm going in the conversation, I, I looked over and I said, oh, wait a minute, there's a thoracic surgeon across the table. And over here is a pediatric cardiologist. And I started to do a little inventory guess what? Thirteen people at the table. Seven doctors, two dentists, three nurses, and me, the non-conforming businessman. <laughs> but it was a lovely time. But that's a, that's a normal occurrence. If you were to go to Chinese-American churches, you'd find that same thing sitting around the table. It's just kind of what it is. Uh, so, let me get myself together. When you're growing up Chinese-American, the families, uh, particularly the moms, the parents, and I, particularly the moms tend to talk about their kids, slash talk, slash brag about their kids. Uh, now, the, the bragging is not really necess- necessarily uh, uh, deliberate. It's just talking, and it, and it comes out. Uh, and it's, it's very, actually, it's competitive. And the preparation for that competition starts very early. Now, I love my mom dearly. Lost her many years ago, but, but uh, my mom was, was not really a tiger mom. Uh, you've heard the proverbial tri- tiger moms, right? Uh, my mom was kind of like a mountain lion mom. Okay? <laughs> uh, she, was, she was right, right on, on us. And uh, she, well, here's an example. If you were to walk into the bathroom of our family home, we had one bathroom years ago, uh, and you, you went into the bathroom, you would see on the wall the times tables, one th- big signs, 1 times 1, all the way to 12 times 12, and it took up the whole wall, across from the toilet. <laughs> I mean, if you had nothing better to do, what did you do, right? Now, those things stayed there all the time, even when we had guests. <laughs> Only one bathroom. So if you were to visit the Chung home back then, uh, and you went into our bathroom, you would emerge a better person. But that's, that's just how it was growing up. Uh, life was about achievement. Now, Ying must have had that same kind of upbringing because uh, he heard his mom admiring the son of one of her friends who he had become uh, the, the president of the junior high student council. So Ying's thinking, man, that must be a way to be important, must be a way to kind of achieve. So Ying became president of his junior high student council. And he went on. He became president of his class in, in, in high school, captain of the football team, president of the senior class, uh, valedictorian. By the time he was done, they had these, these things that would say, most likely to this, right, or, or most something. Ying won six out of ten categories. <laughs> now, this is a kid focused on succeeding. Uh, 
There's also a thing, and it went on to college too, I'll, I'll just tell you this. In Chinese American society, education's everything, it just is. And uh, Ying had two younger brothers. One went to MIT, became a doctor. One went to the Wharton School of Business, and if you're a businessman, you know what that's about. And he became a New York banker. Ying was the, the eldest, and he did everything that you might expect the number one son in a, in a Chinese-American family to do to inspire that kind of uh, achievement in his siblings. So you might think, well, then he went on to, I'll just finish up, he went on to a prominent career in an industry that he really loved and uh, raised a great family. So from a Chinese-American cultural perspective, you might think that Yang had it made. Right? You'd think he, had, he made his family proud. He gave his mother something to brag about, when, when, or at least say, when the other moms were bragging about their kids. He had a prestigious education and a solid career. So from a worldly perspective, he kind of made it through hard work and, and education and ambition. But from the outside, you, you'd look and you'd think, okay, everything's great with this guy, right? Hakuna Matata. No worries. Victory over the challenges of life, right? Not exactly. You see, in his heart and mind, a battle raged. You see, back in high school, Ying became, <clears throat> Ying became a Christian. And he would learn during these years of striving for success that the attitudes, the priorities the character traits that could lead to victory in the world of life were often in deep conflict with those that could lead to a victorious Christian life. Now, that would be true regardless of his ethnicity, regardless of his cultural background. Ambition is colorblind. In Ying's heart was a continual war between the person he wanted everyone to admire and the person the Word of God wanted him to be. Now let me digress for just a moment. From the beginning of our Christian lives, we are all raw material, being shaped by Almighty God. We're kind of like jagged edge blocks of stone that are put lovingly into the hands of the master sculptor. If our hearts and minds are willing, the master gradually chips away at, uh, at that rock to reveal what Tim Keller calls the glory self, the glory self, the inner person who can bring great honor and glory to God. With Ying, there is a lot of rock, dense rock, to chip away. Ying wrestled with finding time to spend in God's word. He, he wrestled with uh, finding power in prayer. He, he struggled with issues of money and tithing. And as you would expect, he grappled mightily with pride, something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the struggle of the natural man for self-justification, which he finds only in comparing himself with others. Even as a grown man, part of Ying was still that little eight-year-old boy trying to be better than everybody else so he would never be humiliated again. But as the Lord chipped away at these and other areas, Ying slowly but surely 
became transformed by God or was being transformed by God into somebody with a broken and contrite heart, a person who earnestly desired to seek God with all of his life. But there were still trials. And the daily pressures of of life were especially burdensome for him in one season, especially difficult season of life. And, And it was during that season that something extraordinary happened. He found himself in bed one night. This is just an interesting story that 4 a.m., in turmoil, unable to sleep, restless, tossing and turning. They were, his struggles were really multi-layered at, at that time, deep problems at work, conflict with some extended family members that were just eating away at his heart, struggles at his church, and then some personal commitments that he had made that were layering a whole bunch of other things on top of him. This guy was overcome by challenges at that time. Struggles on all sides. He was overwhelmed by life. And amid this turmoil at 4 a.m., he, half awake and half asleep, silently cried out to God. He said, How do I find peace, Lord? When you say, Come to me, you who are heavy laden, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What do you mean by that rest? Did you really mean it when you said, My yoke is easy, my burden is light? And what about that peace that surpasses all understanding that you talk about in Philippians? Where is that peace, God? Bring me your peace. So Ying slept there, or sat there silently for a while. And then the Lord responded. He found his mind wandering into an image of himself, standing near the cross at Calvary. From a short distance away, he could see these jar-like vessels beneath the cross. And he felt compelled by the Spirit of God to, to take the burdens of his heart and cast them into those vessels. You've done that before in your own heart and mine. And so he did, one by one. He took the agonies from his workplace and he threw them into one of the vessels. He took the conflicts that were eating up at his heart with his extended family and he threw them into a vessel. He took the troubles in his church also, deep in his heart, and he threw them under the cross into one of those vessels. And all those other things that were personal commitments, he laid them before God. And then he went even further, he... He searched his heart for other things about himself that had distanced him him from his God, his lack of discipline in prayer, lack of attention to the Word of God, his unforgiveness toward people in his life, the distractions of the cultural idols that would uh, vie for his time and attention. And then he threw under the cross his pride and his ego that were continual obstacles to true humility before God. One by one, he surrendered all of his burdens before the cross of Christ. But after all this, he was still hurting, still burdened by the weight of the world. Now, I need to pause for a minute. 
Ying is a pretty sensitive Christian guy, not, not someone who was a pretty discerning, sensible guy, not one who was prone to seeing visions. He, uh, he knew to test the spirits, to make sure that they are of, of God. But he also remembered that God tells us to cast our, all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. So he pressed further. And he said, Lord, what else do you want What else do you want? I've I've thrown everything before you. What else do you want? And it was as though the Spirit spoke with three words. All of you. And realizing that this was more radical than anything he'd really done, he steeled himself. And he ran toward the cross and flung himself at the foot of the cross. And as he sat on his back, looking up, he saw the vision of his Savior nailed to that cross. And a drop of blood fell on his head. And as it saturated his body, all the anxiety, all the pain, the grief that he was experiencing flowed out of his body. And for the first time in a long time, he felt peace. This was more than just letting go. This was radical surrender. And in that moment, his, ne- his life would never quite be the same. Close your eyes a minute, would you? Close your eyes. I'll ask you to comp- comp- contemplate a few questions. Some of you here today are feeling the weight of the world upon you. Some are having problems at work or at home. Some have physical pain. Others whom I know are experienced great heartache. Some of you are just plain exhausted, overwhelmed by the complexity of life. Here's my question. Where do you go to find rest? In your mind's eye, if you imagined yourself before the cross of Calvary, What would you cast before him? The burdens of your family life? Struggles with your children or your spouse? Broken relationships? The constant pressures and disappointments at work? Maybe it's financial struggles or the loss of someone you love. What part of yourself would you surrender to him? Your self-centeredness? your impatience or your selfishness, your ego and pride, your intellect, your critical spirit, or your unforgiveness toward another. If you're grappling with any of these things or whatever might be in your heart, I have a word for you, maybe actually a phrase. When wrestling with God... The key to victory is surrender. When wrestling with God, the key to victory is surrender, sometimes radical surrender. And if this morning you hear the Spirit calling to you in this moment, answer him. In your own way and in your own time, 
with the cares of your own life. Have your moment of surrender before the cross. Cast all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And he will give you rest. Now, as you open your eyes, I have a confession to make. There is no yin. You probably figured that all right out already. Yin is me. I am yin. I'm that eight-year-old boy who grew up into an adult who struggles daily with my own self-will and ambition. And by, by God's grace, I'm finding rest and peace uh, in ways that I haven't before. And if my ambition and pride and ego have ever hurt any of you, I'm deeply sorry. I confess that before my brothers and sisters because we know that in Christian community, the sin of one affects the all. I affect you. You affect me. We are connected. So I confess that to you. And as your brother, I, I, I pledge to spend the rest of my life striving to surrender my whole character before God that he might be glorified in my weakness. But I want a few more comments before I close. I want to bring this home. Some of you may say, okay, this whole surrender thing, that's, that's great. But what do I do with that during my days? How does that look? What could that look like in my life? Now, the reality is it looks different to everybody, everybody's life. But here, here's, here's how it looks to me. This is what life looks like. Number one, I need the Word of God every day. <laughs> Not just reading it. You know, I've done a lot of reading over the years, right on schedule. But tasting it. Digesting it. Allowing it to give me sustenance. If this is God's living Word to me, then I better know what's in it. I better let it dwell in the fabric of my being. For many years, I, I'll confess to you that I thought I didn't have time. I'm a busy guy, right? But I was lying to myself. If you're saying to yourself, I don't have time, I'm busy, let me be so bold as to say you're lying to yourself. We all have time for the things that are important. We do. We all need God's word to work on us and in us every day. That's one of my first steps, has been one of my first steps toward real surrender and rest. Number two, I, I needed to see prayer not as monologue, but as dialogue. For years, I, I would talk to God and wonder why he's not talking back. It took me far too long to get through my thick skull that he's been talking to all of us, all of us, for millennia. 
This is his active, living voice to us. And I've been learning to meditate, just as like, we did with Psalm 16, to meditate on his word, verse by verse, hear it, allow it to soak deeply in and respond. And again, another verse, let it soak in, reflect on it, let it, let it come back out and respond to him. It's, it's become a beautiful, personal dialogue, an intimate one. It's a big part of finding, for me, finding surrender and rest. I know it's not new to many of you here, but it's new to me, and I'm loving it. And finally, let's bring this around to where we began. When life smacks me around the face, the meditations of Psalm 16 have become a faithful friend. And it can become that. Those words can become that for all of us. Verse 1, Preserve me, Lord, for in you I find refuge. When troubles hit, press the pause button. Cry out to him who is our strength and our refuge. Verse 3, the saints of the land, the excellent ones who are all my delight, remember always that we are never alone. We have each other. Verse 5, he holds our lot. All of our outcomes are his. They're in his hands, not ours. We can simply do our best and allow him to give us rest. In verse 6, we've got this beautiful inheritance. Never forget what's on the other side of our problems. Take time to frame our days, whether good or bad, in the context of a wonderful, wonderful eternity. And lastly, memorize verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. He is right here always, standing between us and our troubles and our circumstances, standing at our side in any situation. And because we have that confidence... we can say, the verse, verse 9, that our hearts can be glad, our whole being can rejoice, our flesh also dwells secure, and within the safety of his loving arms, we can together proclaim the beauty of verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand our pleasures forevermore. Would you take a moment in this silence now? If God has spoken a word to you, let it sink deeply into your heart.